Today's interview on the Wellness Restoration Project, I am really excited about. When I first approached Lynn about coming on my podcast, she said to me, yes, but that she really wanted to be able to knock it out of the park. And let me tell you, she did. This is a phenomenal interview because she really brings her best to the table and offered so many good resources to my listeners. I learned a ton. In fact, at the end, I want you to stay tuned. She's given us some discounts for a course that she offers online, and it's a really significant discount. And I'm going to give you my score on a little test that she gives me during the middle of this podcast and how when I did it, according to the concepts that she teaches, that I was able to shave a ton of time off of it. So I'm really excited for you to hear this interview and then stay tuned to the end so that I can give you the coupon code and the link and the information so that you can learn more from this phenomenal woman. Welcome to the Wellness Restoration Project, where we explore the question of how are you well? A collection of interviews and explorations of resources, both ancient and modern, to help you create your own powerful network and practices in wellness. I'm your integrative herbalist and host, Shelly Swap. Let's do this. Welcome back to the Wellness Restoration Project. I'm your host, Shelly Swap, and today I couldn't be more excited to introduce you to my guest. Her name is Lynn Christian. She is the owner, CEO, head honcho, and vision behind Salt here in Salt Lake City. And I came across her, I believe, from Kristen Hodson, who we will talk to later. I promise she is on my guest list for later on in the show. I have really enjoyed watching what Lynn has been teaching. She seems to embody so many of the things that I am striving to learn myself as both a business owner and a woman involved in lots of different things outside of my home as well as inside of my home. Lynn can you tell my audience a little bit more about who you are and how you became this kind of force for such good? <laughs> well, I started out, I'm a original Utah and have stayed here because of the environment and, and my family. And I started out in high school being raised in Heber City, wanting to be a, an attorney and then changing that path in high school which is a story in and of itself, to become a school teacher. So I spent 15 years as an elementary ed teacher in the Provo District and the Davis Districts. And I recognized at some point that as a single parent of three, I really needed to have a more financial sustenance. And so I jumped out of education, found a woman who was a coach. That's where I learned about coaching. She assisted me in a career reinvention and found myself in at working at Franklin Covey as a writer of curriculum in their time management and project management arena called the Innovation Center. And from there, I was elevated to project manager because I was getting my projects done on time and with the right amount of quality, which surprised me. I was like, I don't know how a school teacher transforms, but here she is. She's transforming into a business person. And in the meantime, having experienced a coach, I decided I wanted that kind of life training. This coach that I met had so much personal development that I went to my bank account invested some time and money into learning. I used it as a finishing school for adults, thinking that this would train me how to get my needs met and be a better adult. And indeed it did. But at the same time, I found out I was really good at it. So 
I elevated to becoming the associate director over a project management and innovation center at Franklin Covey. I kept working on getting my coaching certification. So I have a master certification with the ICF. I have certifications in neuroscience, executive coaching, conversational intelligence, and accelerated learning, which is sort of an executive coach function for entrepreneurs that I've been learning. And then from there, I just decided after they elevated me to director of innovation for Franklin Covey Coaching that I really wanted to have my own coaching company. So here I sit before you. I started coaching in 1998. I started Soul Salt in 2004 formally, but I'd been coaching for several years before I formulated my own business and then left corporate to start my own business. So I'm very much an entrepreneur, a free spirit. I reinvented my career several times and such a champion of women in leadership because breaking into business and working in a corporation and seeing that I wanted my own business was a way to freedom. It was a path of courage and it kept me in my integrity. And so I stand before you as one of those people who had children, went through the ranks and discovered that I really do belong in the business world, running my own business, which I think some of your listeners may find themselves as well. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you shared all that with me and with us because it, first of all, explains a ton. I mean, I think the capacity to be a teacher and then just holding space for just a minute that you can't make a huge living as a teacher either, which is heartbreaking. But just the journey that you've been on explains a lot about why you're able to offer what you offer. And I've seen you, I've seen inklings across your social media as you've been talking about reaching out to those who are ready to make transitions midlife and such, and that you definitely are well qualified to talk about that and to teach about it, it sounds like. And then Franklin Covey. I mean, anybody who grew up here in Utah in what the 80s and 90s, I mean, Franklin Covey was such a force to be reckoned with. And that makes a ton of sense. So thank you for (laughs) the dots there. That's pretty amazing. You're welcome. So women in business, and that is, man, that is just such a big topic. And one that I'm learning is way closer to my heart than I ever thought it would be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Should we talk about what that is, looks like? Can we? Yeah, because I'm going to pull from the latest. I like to look at these reports because I do support a lot of women. My audience that follows me is about 80% female, but the people who come into my practice are 60% male, female, and it flips back and forth. Sometimes it's 40 male, 60 female, so it kind of flips back and forth. But I'm going to be going to the latest state of women-owned business report, and I want your audience to take pride in this because I didn't know how it would look after COVID. Pre-COVID, we were growing as a population who who we started businesses, but my suspicion was it was going to grow even more after COVID. And so women-owned business firms now make up 30% of all the businesses in the U.S., and they are generating $1.5 trillion in revenue right now. Wow. So ladies, take stock in that. And the number of women-owned businesses in the U.S. continues to climb. It's now estimated there are approximately 9.4 million enterprises with 30% of that of all businesses in the country. The revenue generated by these female-owned enterprises now estimate to stand at 1.5 trillion. And we've increased by 79% since 1997. Women-owned firms now employ over 7.9 million workers. That's excluding the owner. We're providing one in seven jobs right now in the privately owned businesses. So there has been on average 608 net new women-owned firms launching every year, but that rate just over 
last year, this past year when we had COVID has gone to 887 per day. So it used to be 608 every day. It's now 887. So the number of women-owned firms is increasing at a rate of 1.5 times the national average. Oh, that's fantastic news. I We've seen so much in the media about how hard COVID has been on women in their careers. You just gave me hope. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, a lot of what we're doing is we're leaving the corporate offices and we're starting things out on our own. For instance, the fastest growing industry sector in educational services, which has seen a 67% increase in the number of women-owned firms since 2007, versus it used to be 21% increase. And the state's seen the fastest growing growth in women entrepreneurship, Georgia, Texas, North Carolina, North Dakota, and New York. Wow. What do you think is behind that? Well, so the people that I work with, and I can only surmise from my own experience, is a lot of women are saying, I need to have more flexibility with childcare and child education. Maybe I want to have more flexibility because my parents are aging, or maybe I just want to have a lifestyle I want to have. And I don't want to swipe a card from nine to five. So I'm going to take things into my own hands. I think the social media platforms and the internet have opened up the world. There's never been a better time that if a woman has a great idea and it fits a great need, they can use some of their gumption and their ingenuity to go out there and try their hand at something that maybe before would have been much more difficult. Yeah, I think there are a number of things. We're just taking we're taking the, the role of saying, I'm going to take control of my life and I'm going to start leading it the way I want to. I'm going to work with who I want to work with, making what I want to make, doing what I want to do. And that's basically the mantra I gave myself when I broke away from corporate America. And I had, you know, a high level paying job, but I wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to work with the people that I would only work with I wanted to earn what I wanted to earn, and I wanted to do the kinds of things. I mean, if those people are watching this, I'm in my home office. That was something I dreamed up 16 years ago. I wanted to have, you know, a 30-second commute between my breakfast table and my desk at work. How long have you been working out of your home office? So this home office, I've only been in since 2011. And so I've always wanted a home office, but, and then I worked here for a little while and then completely redesigned it. So this house was purchased because it had the right fittings for me to have a home office. You said only since 2011, then that's huge. Like that was 10 years ago. (laughs) Yes, it is. But when I first knew it was in 1998 that I wanted my own home office. And so I just kept that dream alive. I didn't use it as a goal that I had to just hunt down and chase, which I believe is a really good strategy for me. One part dream, aspiration, and an idea of what I wanted. And one part, okay, let's let that flow to me. It will come someday. But I had so many other goals and and aspirations that took priority that it found its place to me when it was the right time. You know, there is something to say about holding your goals lightly. Tell me more about that. Yeah. Well, a lot of people who are going to start a business can see things that will happen in the future. When the first time I saw a TEDx talk or a TED talk, I was like, I want to do that. Ten years later, I'm on that stage. I didn't stress about it. I didn't put it on my goal sheet. I don't have a goal sheet. I have aspirations, heart dreams. I put them out there. I keep a collection of 100 at a time. And I revisit them every so often and check off the ones that have happened without me having to put it as a goal. 
So there's a part of when we build a business, there's a part of all the things we want, these tiny desires, and you can put them out there and some of them will never happen and you need to be okay with that. But the more important ones eventually come to you sometimes while you're busy doing the other things. Like I was busy in client acquisition, having my sessions, putting the structure of the business together. And I knew I wanted a home office and I knew I'd have it eventually. And then all of a sudden, when it's time to get a new home and there was this office space, it was like, that's the home. And then after I'd lived here for a while, it was like, now this is how I want to design it. So I didn't force any of it. And I think sometimes because we have such a psychological and an emotional attachment to things that we can envision as entrepreneurs and as women, that we feel like we have to make them happen. And some of those things will just happen. We don't have to make them. We've seen them, we've felt them, but they will come to us. And then other things we do have to make happen. And I think that's the wisdom within the soul of a female to discern the difference. I love that. Like you just took a whole lot of pressure off the hustle. You don't have to yes. right now. <laughs> you don't have to hold on to it so tightly. And then this making space for this idea of, or the, just this truth of that there is wisdom and that there's this greater plan and that, yeah, we can see things that, that we feel strongly will be part of our next steps, but we don't necessarily have to have them all right now or have to be killing ourselves to make them happen right now if it's not the right time. Yeah, I can tell you that they've been, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, you're fine. I just to say, I really appreciate that as someone who's coming from it from a wellness perspective, that makes a lot of things feel like, oh, we can take that deep breath and step into it every day with this same great enthusiasm and passion and love and make space for all the other things that are really important to us. Like you mentioned, you know, caring for family members or aging parents or all those things, we can make space for them when we do it the way you're describing. I think you hit on something. So let's converge our thoughts. Okay. If it's okay, we are a hundred percent in charge of our own wellness. And as the engine that drives an entrepreneurial venture, a female operated and owned business, we have a hundred percent, maybe even 120%, if that's possible, responsibility for taking care of ourselves and managing ourselves well so that we have the kind of private life and the kind of professional life that can be melded together and brings us peace of mind and joy. And that means that we need to understand our needs and have a team. You know, I have a wellness team. I have a PT I go to that puts me back together when I injure myself in my athletic endeavors. I have a naturopath. I have a body worker. I have daily practices. So it's our responsibility to make sure I know what my nutrition is. I have studied Melissa Urban's work and I fall back on the whole 30 so often because that's what works for me. I have a limitation of the sort of beverages that I consume and the amount of water. And it's all just a natural flow of getting my needs met. But my business is going to reflect who I am at the core if I am managing myself well and therefore have wellness. And if I am not well, a CEO said this to me one day, he was just shaking his head when he came into a boardroom before we had a session. And he just said, Lynn, another example I just saw, if your personal life's in the crapper, your business life is too. That translates to if your health is in the crapper, that will reflect in your ability to magnify yourself into the brilliant thing that you're doing for your work. So it starts with you. I wish I could jump up and down on a podcast <laughs> and cheer because I agree <laughs> so wholeheartedly. And I think that is the 
the thing that I'm most passionate about is yes, I am one piece in my world as an herbalist and in nutrition and those types of things, but I'm just one piece. If we could give women and men too, but women, because they make what 76% of all the healthcare decisions in the United States. And if we could give them both the permission and the responsibility, the moral obligation to say, yes, you are actually in charge. And by being in charge, that doesn't mean that you have to do it all. You are in charge of deciding who you're going to surround yourself with and the resources that you are going to choose to bring into your life that help you become well, to achieve balance and to be able to go after those things that are so important to you so that you can then turn around and lift those that are in your stewardship. So it it sounds like we're on very much the same level in that understanding and goal. So tell me what you think is one of the most important things to learn to do. I mean, because there are so many pieces of this puzzle, right? We've got families and I know you've got some special skills in that area that I'd love you to talk to us about. How do we focus? Yeah. So we'll focus on three things that women can do to manage themselves well to have some of that wellness, especially as they interface with the business propositions that they're putting into their lives. And I listened to Katie and Sarah. So Katie Richardson and Sarah already, and they have some great advice. And I too have a morning routine. It's really gentle. So I appreciate that. And we'll talk about journaling. Here are the three main things that I found. And I have an example of this, that, you know, clients that have started working on these three things, you know, three to six months later, will say, I now have $20,000 in my savings. Oh my goodness. We just landed another $30,000 a month client or whatever it is, three areas. They are your energy, your emotion, and your focus. So I find that when women manage those, and we'll talk about what that means, energy, emotion, and focus, they're managing aspects of themselves so that they can show up bright and brilliant in no matter which facet of life they're in. So when I talk about energy, imagine that you are a battery and we really are. Eileen Bakuziak, who has great information about the tuning fork and how we are bioelectric beings. She just has some wonderful things. And that's part of my morning routine is I get up and use a tuning fork with some great meditative music. And I just recharge my battery right after I've slept. I just add some more electrical charge to the system. And so that's what I'm talking about when I say energy. I'm talking about you're a battery. So what are you doing to manage the energy inside that battery? And here's a study that was fascinating to me. In 2005, Friedman and Forster published their research on the effects of motivational cues. So one way to manage our energy, and I'll first give the research. So they gave people these mazes, and you've all seen those, or you hand them to your kids in a scholastic magazine or some kind of, you know, where there's something in the maze. In this case, there was a mouse that needed to make it through the maze. And if you get the mouse through the maze, then you had solved the maze. Well, one group in this study, they were given a mouse and the mouse needed to get to the other side of the maze so that they could avoid the predator, which was an owl that was hovering over the maze. So their motivation was get to safety. Now, imagine how you handle your work life if your thing is, I've got to get to safety. I've got to get to financial freedom. I've got to, versus the second group who are given the same maze, same mouse, no owl, but a big hunk of cheese at the end of the maze, get to the reward. The people who did the maze with a get to the reward did a better job. 
fewer mistakes, fewer rewinds. You've all done that in a maze. And they could actually leave and do other activities with higher levels of creativity and freedom. Of course, one puts you in the prefrontal cortex, which is the executive brain right behind your third eye chakra. Some people know that or your forehead. That's the highest functioning part of your brain. That's where you can hear the intimations of your heart and the instincts of your gut. If you've listened to my TEDx talk, I talk a lot about that inner wisdom. And that's where trust for self works, is in a connection of the neurons firing in that prefrontal lobe, the neurites in the heart, the 40,000 and the 500 million in your gut system. And so you can really feel yourself. So one way to manage your energy is, you know, we can talk about stress reliefs, we can talk about sleep, those are all important. Here's a simple thing you can do, is give yourself a reward. Is it that warm cup of cocoa or tea? Is it another cookie? For me, I gave myself a reward one time. I made up my own endurance race. And then I promised myself there was a certain sweatshirt that had an emblem on it that I would get for myself as my reward. And I I noticed how much more fun it was to do that than trying to break some kind of record. I have done triathlons. Those was start with a swim, bike up to Wire Mountain, which is a 2,000 foot elevation in two miles. So there's some pretty steep places. Run up that. Yep. Run up that as fast as I could, run down, get back on the bike, go over to Capitol Hill, have somebody there with a puzzle, a mental puzzle. I stopped the bike ride, try to see how fast I could do the mental puzzle. I was kind of like a Rubik's Cube. Get back on the bike, come back to my home, climb a vertical rope three times, take a deep breath and hit a target with a BB gun three times in a garage that I have that's big enough. And then the the race was over and I gave myself this sweatshirt. So this was me rewarding myself. But I do the same thing with my business. What's my reward? And I think if we imagine what we're going to give ourselves in a short term, what's my reward for the day? What's my reward when this milestone's hit, when this project's done? We manage our energy. Again, sleep, good food, water. Those are just salient points. You know, Shelly, those are things that if you're not doing, you got to get that done first. But then start looking at how you can manage yourself and your energy by that reward system. So that's the first one. That's just an idea. The next one is the emotion. And we are all emotional beings. We're more wired for connection with other people. And in a nanosecond, in 0.07 seconds, we can go from oxytocin and serotonin, you know, wanting to cuddle someone and feeling like the world's in a good place to being in fear and feeling cortisol. And likewise, we can be in cortisol and then someone comes in and gives us a hug and we feel connected and all of a sudden we're in that prefrontal lobe again. So because we are emotional beings and a lot of us as women have an emotional connection to the work we do, it's more about value and the worth we add to the planet than it is about getting rich. And although we want to be rewarded, which is totally healthy for abundantly for what we offer with our gifts, sometimes we forget that passion that drives us is also something that can backfire on us. And we can feel like I'm not doing it right. What do I think I'm doing? The imposter syndrome sits in. So emotion, because our brain will make up a lot of stories. So I'm going to invite you, Shelly, I'll walk you through an exercise that helps people deal with the emotion. And maybe you can think of something that happened to you in business lately that kind of threw your emotions out of whack or something that happened in the past. Can you think of something? Yeah, for sure. Okay, let's let's coach through it. So how much of it do you want to share? Just maybe a quick synopsis of what happened and then I'll ask some questions. I had a launch that didn't go anywhere near as well as I had planned. Oh, okay. So that happened in your environment and this is where it starts. Something happens in our environment. For some women, it's just looking at somebody else on Facebook that they consider is competition and seeing that person seems like they're doing better. And then we just think we're a failure. 
For you, it was a launch and that was the stimuli. And then what did you notice in your body happened when the launch didn't go as you planned? Heavy, just so heavy, just feeling Mm. bad and lots of questioning. Okay. So you felt heavy and was it in the whole body or just one place in particular? I would say my heart felt really heavy and my, I felt like I, my mind was really weighed down. Yeah. Almost like your brow furrowed and your heart fell. And that, yeah. Been, yeah. A lot of us can feel it <laughs> with you. So now that we've identified that it did live in your body, because we'll, our body will pick up on things like 24% faster than our brain does realize that there's something there. So we'll feel it in our body first, and then an emotion or a feeling wants to start. So let's see if you can name the emotion or the feeling. And for those of you listening, a great place to go is just search on whatever platform, Emotion Wheel, W-H-E-E-L, and you will see a lot of options for emotions. You'll see the primary emotions in the center, and then they branch out. Let's see, Shelly, if you can do it without the wheel. What do you feel were some of the main emotion discouragement yes for sure fear I don't know about I don't know how to name the other one but a combination of worry and failure and questioning all those things at once yeah a barrage right so now we know the emotion just kind of look at that emotion for a moment just kind of wow look at all those pieces and then I'm going to ask you in that moment What did you need? And again, for the listening audience, you can look for needs lists. The Nonviolent Communication NDC website has some really good resources. And I can see Shelly writing down some notes because these are probably going to show up in the show notes. So, (laughs) yeah, and some need basic needs. Human needs are things like safety, to be seen, to be connected, to succeed. What do you sense was your need? Reassurance and... That's a good question. I don't know. I definitely needed to know that it wasn't the end. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't total failure. You weren't going to go under. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you've named some pretty vital needs. And now if you could go back and replay that, where could you go? Well, let's first go into one of those. One of them was reassurance. What kind of reassurance do you think would have been most nourishing? That the experience was not a failure, that it was a really good learning exercise for the next. Mm -hmm. Okay. So already your inner wisdom could feel that, but you need a reassurance that you weren't fooling yourself. It sounds like. Yeah. So who could you have gone to and what could you have asked them? Because this is what we're doing is once you've identified the need, you go to people who can support you that you can trust that will hold you safe. And you ask, you make a request. So what would you have said? I'm going to fumble at this, I'm sure, because I haven't done it before, but I think I would have asked, help me see this from a bigger picture. What a beautiful way to do that. (laughs) That's, you know, just help me to see this from a place of a stepping stone instead of a end of a road. That's a great way to say it. Just so authentic. Because basically what I hear you saying is, I don't think this is a failure and I want to believe it's not. It's a disappointment. I feel heavy. I feel like it could be a failure. Tell me I'm either right or wrong. Help me trust myself or prove to myself that I am a failure. (laughs) So I need some reassurance because if, you know, you don't want to make a mistake and then have somebody just brush over it. You want them to be honest. But your instincts were telling you, I am just learning and I need that reassurance that what I feel in my gut and in my heart to be true and what my head is telling me, that futuristic part of me, I need to know, am I crazy or is this true? 
Now I kind of added a lot of flavor to it, but did I get to kind of the gist? You did. That was beautiful. (laughs) So here's the formula. Let's recap. This is one way for us to manage our emotion. And this is not just some tricky little formula. This comes from studying. I've gone to Australia to study the multiple brain integration, which is the head, heart, and gut. I've studied and been right by the knee of Judith E. Glaser before she passed away, who gave us conversational intelligence, the neuroscientist who is an organizational anthropologist. And I'm bringing in some of the newest science that Andrew Huberman's bringing in, followed Daniel Goleman in the 90s and Antonio Damasio. So this is a convergence of a lot of information. Come up with this formula. This isn't just something that is tricky and cute and clever. It's literally designed to change our DNA, neuroplasticity, from going into the stress mode to being able to exit that stress mode before we climb up a ladder of conclusions and assumptions that are not true. And we ingrain beliefs that need to be rewired someday to actually appropriately move our DNA to something that's healthier because our emotions are just electrical impulses that are happening through our nervous system. Again, we're bioelectric neurochemical beings. And so handling our emotions and and managing them, I'm literally going to the DNA and assisting you to rewire it toward wisdom and away from fear, the kind of fear that doesn't serve you. So this first step is, Something happens. Notice that something happened. Acknowledge it. The second one is, how does your body respond to it? The third one is, what are the emotions? And then once you know that and you look those emotions in the eye, then you say, okay, so what are they telling me I need? So you have a chance to move from the cortisol in the back of the brain to the front of the brain. You can drop into the heart and the gut instinct, which is kind of like this infinity sign of wisdom. People who are listening are going to know when I say it's your North Star compass It's your inner plumb line. It's that thin gold line of truth that lights up when you know you hit your truth. One architect calls it being level with himself because he's used a level with a little bubble in it, you know, a construction level. Yeah. So he's like, I'm leveling with myself, a bubble level. So whatever language you use, we're just putting you in touch with that because a part of entrepreneurship for women is using that part of us that uses intuition or the scientific evidence that we're finding now for intuition called head, heart, and gut wisdom. So managing emotion. We're going to have it and we need to manage it. Ask for the need to get met and you keep working till that need is met. So let's go to focus, should we? Yes. Focus management is incredibly important. (laughs) It is a huge challenge for so many people. Well, and those of us who tend to be more around and we have a propensity for starting our own business, We'll have a lot of ideas, have a lot of energy around our ideas, but often we didn't come with an owner's manual. And I was an undiagnosed ADD or ADHD child, so I have neurodiversity. A lot of people's shoes and your shoes, we have some neurodiversity. Maybe there is, maybe we're on a spectrum somewhere. Maybe there's some dyslexia. So for me, I really hit this when I started working for Franklin Covey and I got elevated from a writer to being a project manager in the innovation group. And I was put over project managing the time management suite with the best time managers in the world who were using Franklin Covey planners. And I could never get their planner to work for me. It was a really good system, but my neurodiversity didn't fit with it. And so I had to figure out how do I manage? And I learned that, yes, indeed, my eyes are a strong part of my brain. And Andrew Huberman's work in ophthalmology tells us our our eyes are really a big extension of our brain. And so I learned that if I managed where I focused, my time took care of itself. So I created a system for managing my day, my week, and my project so I could keep up with these world-class time managers 
by managing my focus. And we'll talk more about that when we finish, because we'll have a gift for your group if you can relate to this. Is if I'm a highly visual thinker, and so having my focus management be really visual, almost kinesthetic, I can keep myself on track. So with that said, we could try a quick little exercise. Do you have a piece of paper and a pencil? I do. I have a pen. Will a pen work? Let's, okay. Pen will work. Something to write with. And if you just take a piece of paper and give yourself three columns, one long column in the middle and two on the sides. And because I was a school teacher, any of you out there, we're talking about hot dog columns instead of hamburger columns. So <laughs> hot dog columns <laughs> instead of hamburger rows, right? <laughs> Very visual. Okay. We're going to title the first column as ABC. No, actually, let's do this first column. One, two, three. One, two, three. And then the next column in the middle, we're going to do January to December. So we'll use months. All the months written out? Well, we'll get there in just a second, but you're going to be able to abbreviate them if you want to. But you know there are 12. And then we're going to do ABCs as the third column. And what I'm going to do in a second is I'm going to time you. Now, the timing is not because you're in a race. The time is because we're going to go through this exercise two different ways, and you get to compare how one felt to the other, okay? So don't try to beat any time because there's not a time aspect here. The time is simply a metric that shows us one piece of how you experienced it. And your job will be when we say go, is you're going to write the first number, which is one in our Arabic system of numbers, which we have our system of numbers, one, two, three, four, five is Arabic. Then you're going to jump like we do as entrepreneurs sometimes to the next task, which is writing the first month of the year, which is January. And you can write J-A-N. You can put a period behind it or not. However, it needs to come out so you feel good that you wrote January. You can write it all out if you want. And then you jump to the third column and you write the first letter of the alphabet, which is A. Then you go back to the left-hand side of your paper and go to the second number and then the second month and then the second letter. And you keep going until you get to the number 12, until you get to December, and I think until you get to L. But you'll know that because everything else is complete. And then you say done. And what we're going to ask you to do, Shelly, and people that are listening that want to try this, please stop in your car if you're going to do this. <laughs> we're just asking you, what do you experience inside? You know, you're going to come face to face with some of your neurochemistry and some of your thought patterns when you jump from one thing to other. Because as business owners, we do have to jump from one to another, especially if we have little children or even if we have teenage children, especially then. Yes. So once per column, and then come back to the first column until you finish them. Do you have any questions? I'm already stressed out thinking about it, but okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. So before we start, take a deep breath. But this is what multitasking does to us. It stresses us. And there's no test here. It's simply a simulation. So it's like we're putting you in a cockpit of how you manage focus and what it's like when the constraints are what I've given you. So we're just kind of putting you as a test pilot in this new plane and saying, hey, how do you fly this, Shelly? There's no right or wrong. And the beauty of this simulation is I'm not doing it because there's one right answer. I'm doing it because every person has a different experience unique to them. And I'm curious what your experience is going to be. I am too. You're going to have head chatter or not or all kinds of things. So are you ready? I am. And I'm hoping that anybody okay. who's listening that is willing to do this, I really hope that they'll do it and share it with us because I'm really interested in how this goes for lots of I people. would love to see the results too. Okay. You tell me when you start and I'll start my timer. Okay. Ready? Go. And I'll be the commentator. Those of you listening, you can hear her sketching out what she needs to do. And she's jumping from column to column. I can see her doing that. This is hard. <laughs> <laughs> and yet you're still doing it. You're persisting in the face of difficulty. Almost there. 
December L. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> Woo. One one point three seconds. One minute and three seconds. Or one minute and three seconds. So, yep. Oh, it felt like an eternity. <laughs> yeah. So write down on that piece of paper one dot dot oh three. That's your first time. And now tell us, what did you experience during that little exercise, shall we? Because you you what? I got lost. Like I had to really focus about where I was because I wanted to keep going in each column until I was completed. And so my brain was like, no, 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 A, B, C, D, stop. I have to go back and do this. It was hard. So you, it sounds like for you, you were trying to find a more efficient way to get to the end in mind, but you were forcing yourself to play the rules. Yes, (laughs) for sure. And was there a column that was more difficult than the others? The alphabet was more difficult for me. That's classical. Most people do. They have to go to the alphabet song. Yeah. You do. Well, there's a reason for that. If you think about it, we use the numbers and often we use numbers to reflect a date. So numbers and months translate very well together because we already have patterns in our neural networks. But then when we change that to letters, we don't always associate A is number one. I mean, there are some people who can tell you what the 13th letter of the alphabet is, but I always have to go through the ABC song. So what we did here was try to simulate what happens when we multitask, because literally when we change context, you have to come back. It's like you go down into the gold mine and you chip off some gold and then somebody calls you and says, no, we need you over here in the pearl fields. Take off the gold mine very quickly, all the dust, all the paraphernalia that you have in the gold mine, then you put on your swimming trunks and get into the pearl dive. And then all of a sudden, no, you'll okay, come out of that. Oh, now I have to go over to the ABC treasure trove. So every time we do that, we can do it in milliseconds, but it does require that our brain changes context. So if you were to do this, and we, I don't know that we need to take time on this, but the next thing is, Shelley, for you to do it, where you get to do it the way that your brain wanted to. There's something in this lesson for you about you are automatically looking for efficiency. And when you can't have that, it disrupts you. But what I will tell people is sometimes we don't manage our focus as entrepreneurs. And when we have to change that context, like you did between numbers and alphabet and months, if we have one project going, we can give it 100% of our available energy, time, resources. When we have two, the energy and time and focus available is 40% per project and we lose 20% because you know this. If you're texting and then you look up, there's a there are some milliseconds or seconds where you don't register what's on the road. And I know people have done that and gotten in accidents or done that and went, holy cow, I could have had an accident. So that's one place where people notice it the most. But you notice it if you're busy finishing an email and somebody interrupts you. If you could just put up a hand and just say, give me 10 seconds, I need to finish this and finish the email. It will be more elegantly finished. It'll be finished faster because you don't have to come back and revise and remember where you were. No context shifting. But every time you shift, it can take something could take up to 24% longer. If you have three projects going on and you go to one and then the other and the other, they only get 20% and you're losing 40%. Wow, that's if huge. If you have four projects going, each gets 10% and you lose 60. And if you have five, Each gets 5%, you lose 75% of your time and energy. So that's why I say focus management. And I have learned that just this one simple thing, and I'm going to ask your listeners, just find one little thing that we talked about today that you can translate into, I'm going to play with that. From what Shelly and Linda said, you either had an original idea or something that we talked about sparked in you. Write that down right now. 
and then make a commitment to play with that in the next 24, 48 hours. Know what you're going to do. Find an accountability partner so you can check in and say, hey, this is what I'm doing and I want to come back and tell you what I learned and then do it. And like Kate and like Sarah, I appreciate journaling. I've studied, I am learning to become a fencer. I've spent the last five years learning to fence. I used to be a triathlete and I want, and I've run Spartan races with my son. And now I want something that helps me maintain coordination because I'm 62 and really uses flow and nimbleness and challenges my mind. And so I have studied Andrew Huberman's work on managing fear and emotion and focus, as well as Lanny Basham's work on why 10% of the athletes win 90% of the medals. And so here, if you're going to journal about it, if you don't have an accountability partner, here's one of the best ways to use a journal to help you embody a change. And that is, here's the first question. Again, these are constructed with neuroscience in mind. First question is, well, what did I learn? Or what was my insight? So if you're journaling because you want to change and you want to embody something and you want to become better at owning a business, running a business, managing yourself, then Journal about what it is that you're trying to transform. And the first question is, what did I learn or what insight did I have? You can choose those. They're interchangeable. The second question is, what went well? And the second one is, what will I try tomorrow? Notice we didn't ask you about where you failed. That just rewires you for more failure. We asked you to reflect on what you learned or what the insight was. We asked you to reflect on what went well. And then we ask you to then look at, okay, Now, what will I try tomorrow? And that's a forward focus. So that's one way to use a journal to embody change, but it helps you focus on embodying that change. Do you have questions? So many, but I, it's beautiful. I use a lot of brain dumping when I journal. This feels like a really good way to kind of go from the brain dump to cleaning it up and giving it a focus. That's what it does. I mean, this is very purposeful. I have two journals I'm working on, one with my fencing and one with my own leadership of my business. I ask the three same questions, but I have a different focus of where I answer those questions from. I was taught this also by Judith. If you're going to journal, use it as a means for transforming and embodiment. I use a different exercise when I want to get clear. I use the head, heart, and gut exercise that I talked about in my TEDx talk of how to listen to your inner wisdom. So you have a somatic, a body response to the truth that you feel inside your body. And you also get your answers. You hear the intimations of the heart. You feel the instincts of the gut. And you know the insights of the head brain coming together and it gives you a pattern to read so that you know what to do next. I think you would love the concept of the three treasures in ancient Chinese. Have you heard of them? I will look those up. I probably, you know, they sound familiar, but I can't remember them. They are Jing, Qi, and Shen. And they are, when we want to visualize and one of the best ways is to visualize them as a candle and take the things that we're given the genetics, our, how long our life is, all those things that really we can't do much with. There is a, a set thing that we're born with, right? We can definitely add to them, but that is our jing. That's what we come to the earth with, what we're prepackaged with. That's what this life embodies. And then we have our chi, and those are the things that we can influence. Our food, our thought, our emotions, the air we breathe, all those things. And they all influence that most important treasure, which is the shen. And that's represented by the mm. light. By the can the light that the candle gives off and shares with the room around it. And as I if I've heard you talk about all these different concepts, they just it's just so interesting how timeless they are. Because the concepts of the Shen and the Jing and the Qi, they're thousands and thousands of years old. But they were absolutely essential to looking at a whole person and bringing them back into a state of wellness. And that's why, you know, meditation and herbs and food and movement and 
emotions and all those things were so essential back then, and they haven't stopped being essential now. I think these things I've been studying in neuroscience are just proving some of the ancient wisdom practices. Great. Yeah. So I'm excited to talk about the gift that we have for your listeners, if it applies to them. Yeah, let's do it. So all the little systems that I put into place to help me manage my focus, including this little simulation exercise, are in an online course called Be Focused. And so I believe we have a huge discount for your attendees. And I'm not sure if Shannon talked to you about that. So I'm going to link to it here in the show notes, and then I'll also put a link to it in my social media, but she has offered us a really special price. I understand that the course usually sells for close to $200 and she's offering it. You're offering it for $50 to my listeners with the code that I have been given. And I will share that in the show notes and in, we'll put that in, in the social media as well. I believe it's my name, but I I need to look that up and make sure that I have it so that I can copy it and paste it. Yeah. So that we're very precise. Yes. There's nothing worse than getting getting all excited and then having the wrong code. So I will make sure that it's right in (laughs) where you can copy and paste it and get it right where it needs to go. And I am really excited about it because one of the main things that I get asked several times a day is, do you have anything to help with focus? And while I do have great herbs and great resources to learn to put into your life to help your body calm down. So that's not aggravating your ability to focus. These tools that you teach sound like they are a perfect companion, especially for those that are not thriving in the traditional list world, like like you talked about with the Franklin Covey that really need some other options to help them focus. I think that's so exciting. So thank you. You're so welcome. Give them some ideas. Well, yeah. So it's very visual. It uses a lot of uh, manipulation of things that help you access the neurochemistry that we've been talking about and helps you visually think your way through what the priority is and helps you sort of manage your mind and your heart toward that. So, and one of the reasons that we're giving such a deep discount to your audience is, is I truly believe that when women are in a strong, firm, confident, competent standing in the business world, that we will change the world that women will be the answer in leadership in all kinds of ways and that we need more women focused and confident and quietly going about their work so that they can transform us to a better planet. So that's one reason why we're doing such a deep discount for your audiences. We really champion the cause of women. And also, if anything that I'm saying resonates, your audience is more than welcome to go to our website and find our pre-work or intake forms and get a free 20-minute session just to help them write themselves. So that's another offer for women in leadership and entrepreneurship, because I believe the visionaries, the innovators, and the entrepreneurs will make the difference. Oh, that's like a beautiful, big, deep breath of fresh air. Thank you, Lynn. And I am going to be linking to all of your places, spaces, your TEDx talk, all the things that we've talked about in the show notes, and then we will also get them accessible to as many people as possible through newsletters and emails and all those things as well. So, right. They'll find you on Instagram. They'll find you on your anywhere else we should be looking for you. The strongest places where I play with the social media is I'm pretty present on Instagram and LinkedIn. So those are two really good places for me to interface with you directly if you want that. Okay. I will click, make sure that we add LinkedIn to the profile. Lynn, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been such a wonderful gift to get to learn from you today. My privilege, and I'm honored to talk to your audience. Thank you.
Okay, what did you think? Did you learn a ton? I'm still like totally mind blown at all of the good stuff, all of the good resources, and just the, the shift in how to look at things so that I can better concentrate and pay attention. Since the interview, I have been able to see a benefit in the way that I'm working throughout the day, just from the things that I've learned from Lynn. Okay, so first things first, the little exercise that she had me do with the numbers and the months and the and the first 12 letters of the alphabet. So I did it again and applied some of the principles that she taught. And instead of a minute and three seconds, I got 33 seconds. So I almost cut that in half by applying the principles that she taught in this podcast interview. If you are interested in learning more about becoming focused, or if you've got a college age student or a high school age student, or somebody that's really needing some help in learning to focus, Lynn has offered us her be focused online course for only $50. It's usually 199 and she has generously offered to mark it down to $50 for my listeners. All you have to do is use my code, which is my name, Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-E-Y. Don't forget the E and that will give you the discount. That'll knock it down to $50 and you can buy that course. I will have the link to that course in my show notes. I will also pop it into my link on my social media so that you can find it there. And I hope that you will take advantage of this. In addition to all of the other good things that we've learned um, about the herbs and the foods and the things that you can incorporate into your daily lives, and I hope that you really see a big benefit from this. I know I have. Anyway, until next time, thank you for joining me. Be well. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you're one step closer to moving those mountains on your journey to wellness. If you liked what you heard, will you give me a favor and share it with a friend? I'd also love you to come over and join me on Instagram. Come join the community of others who are learning to use natural resources and expand their horizon of what it means to be well. You'll find me at Shelly Swap on Instagram. The link is always in my show notes. And until next time, be well.